The CBC blows an election call in Quebec, they steal news from a competitor without giving any credit, and they push a divisive, deranged, woke left screed blaming climate change on, you guessed it, racism and white supremacy. It's Fake News Friday, I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Happy Friday. It is Fake News Friday, our favorite show around here at the Candace Malcolm Show. Every week on Friday, we gather together the worst examples of media malfeasance here in Canada. There are always so many to choose from, especially with the CBC. The CBC just serves us up an, an array of completely outrageous news stories week after week, day after day. And so we get to parse through it, pick out the worst examples or the best examples uh, from, from our perspective of just media being completely ideological, completely biased, completely unethical and unprofessional in the way that they deliver you the news, all while taking your money, all while uh, claiming that they have the authority on truth and objectivity and demanding that you pay with your hard-earned money, your tax dollars, uh, to pay their salary and to, to pay for the absolute nonsense that they push. It's, it, it's, it's sort of funny when you, when you take a step back, it's, it's amusing and comical. Um, we have to laugh at it, otherwise we would, we would cry because it, it is just so such a sad state uh, here in Canada. So we've got some good examples for you today, but first, if you're watching this show on YouTube, I'm going to ask that you take a moment to please like this video, leave us a comment, let us know what you think of the show. Don't forget to subscribe to True North. Head on over and subscribe to our channel. It's really important. And don't forget to hit that little notification bell. It really helps us out. It helps us with the algorithm so that other people can discover True North on YouTube. If you're watching on Facebook, don't forget to like this video, share the video with your friends, leave us a comment, let us know what you think. And don't forget to like our True North page. If you want to always see True North content when you come onto Facebook, it's important that you like the True North page and that way you will see our news when you come onto the app. And finally, if you are listening to this show in podcast form over on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you enjoy your podcast, please subscribe to The Candace Malcolm Show. And if you like the content, if you enjoy it, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. Okay, back to Fake News Friday. The CBC just, just teased this up right for us. So this comes to us over uh, from our friends at Blacklock's Reporter. It says the CBC is sorry for bad reporting. They're sorry for bad reporting. So let's let's take a look at this story. It is, it is wild. So the CBC apologized after bungling a hasty Quebec City election call that sent the wrong candidate rushing to the podium to mistakenly deliver a TV victory speech. Can you believe it? The Crown broadcaster earlier praised itself as a beacon of truth with high newsroom standards. Not so much in real life. We are sorry, CBC management wrote in a statement, there was no explanation as to why producers rushed to air with an election announcement that was incorrect. So polls closed in the Quebec City municipal election at 8 p.m. And just moments later, so at 8.28, just 28 minutes after polls closed, the CBC announced that Mary Jose Savard had been elected mayor. They rushed to get that announcement out. And because of that, because I guess everybody in Quebec City was watching the CBC, as soon as the CBC declared it news, it must be so, it must be the truth, right? That's what they tell us. And so it caused the candidate herself 
Mary Jose Savard to go and deliver a victory speech to her campaign, to her to her supporters who were there uh, with her. So pretty embarrassing stuff over at the CBC. So Savard then appeared at her campaign headquarters and delivered her victory speech, again, based on the CBC call. A big thank you to the citizens of Quebec for trusting us, Savard said. Savard is a former councillor in Quebec City. However, the night was not over. The night was still very, very young. Remember, it was just 28 minutes after the polls closed that the CBC had made this decision. But by 11 p.m., Savard's opponent had taken the lead, prompting the local media to quip that Savard was the shortest serving mayor. She was only mayor for two hours because all of a sudden it turned out that she hadn't won the election. She had lost. It was a surprising turn of events, the CBC said in a statement. Our decision-making desk rigorously followed the usual process before declaring Mary Jose Savard the winner, wrote the CBC management. We will seek answers to all our questions to explain what may have happened. So Savard's opponent, Bruno Machard, a community organizer, was declared elected yesterday by 834 votes. Marchand won 59,580 votes to Savard's 58,746. We understand this is an unfortunate situation for Ms. Savard and her campaign, wrote the CBC executive. So a spectacular blunder over at the CBC, embarrassingly making the wrong call and causing the, can the candidate herself to believe that she had won mayor. What a joke, what a disgrace over there at the CBC. So Catherine Tate, the CEO over at the state broadcaster, in her last appearance at the Commons Heritage Committee, described the CBC as a truth beacon worthy of $1.3 billion in annual subsidies. She was basically just making the case that CBC is the arbiter of truth, that they are the beacon apparently of trustworthiness, and yet they can't even get a basic election call. Look, I've worked a lot of elections. I've covered a lot of elections. You, you basically, you know, you can you can sort of look at numbers and say, okay, it looks like this candidate might win, but you don't call an election until you're sure. And the fact that they just kind of jumped over their skis here, decided to call the election that early, just, just shows what an absolute joke they are in terms of their ability to deliver the news. We may make mistakes, said Catherine Tate. Everybody makes mistakes, but the journalistic standards and practices state very clearly, we measure, we research, we're transparent. <laughs> we're transparent. No, they're not transparent. The CBC is a left-wing advocacy organization, a far-left, pro-liberal, pro-big-L liberal advocacy organization that pretends to be a news organization. They put social justice first, they put Justin Trudeau and the liberals first, and they put Canadians last. And yet here they are pretending that they are, again, the beacon of journalistic standards. No, CBC, you are terrible. You're a joke and everybody is laughing at you. Okay, moving on. This is probably my favorite op-ed of the week. And by favorite, I mean the absolute most terrible thing I had to read all week. So here it is from the CBC's opinion pages. Again, why does the CBC do opinion? That they're supposed to be the news broadcaster when all all of a sudden they mix in their own opinions and of course their opinions are always far left, woke, total nonsense, very divisive, obsessed with race. Um, when they mix that in with their own news coverage, it, it waters down the whole brand, it makes people shake their heads and this coming from the state broadcaster is just such a slap in the face to taxpayers, let me just put it that way. Okay, so here's the headline. When it comes to climate change, the heavy hand of colonizers is as important as our carbon footprint. 
Solutions that do not disrupt our legal, social, and economic structures will not help us, says this author named Stephanie Arnold, who we learned later is a woke far-left researcher at a university. And of course, this is part of the CBC's new journalism. Here we have this little disclaimer at the top. It says, our planet is changing, so is our journalism. This story is part of a CBC News initiative entitled Our Changing Planet to show and explain the effect of climate change and what is being done about it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago on the show how the CBC has completely reoriented itself to being a climate change alarmism fanaticism news site and it's right there it's it's written right into their policy that their that their job in journalism isn't just to report the news but it's to push these wild wild stories about climate alarmism and sort of promote fear and anxiety when it comes to our planet and, and, and they're completely transparent about that. So this is part of that series. Here we see a picture at the top here. It says 1.5 to stay alive and then there's a little caption here. It says high school students advocate for the lower of the two UN climate targets, 1.5 degrees Celsius during a climate protest in Montreal in 2019. Some environmental experts say keeping global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius would lead to less extreme heat, rainfall, and drought than the original target of 2 degrees Celsius. And so here we see all of these very trendy, woke, young uh, Montrealers uh, out there advocating, marching in the streets, demanding for some theoretical target a hundred years from now that will never actually come to fruition, but regardless, uh, makes them feel important and passionate. And so this is how they occupy their time. But back to this op-ed. So basically, the author is saying that Climate change, instead of looking at the, the the sort of idea that carbon is causing climate change, let's look deeper. And when we look deeper, we'll realize that um, climate change is actually just about racism. Okay. So here she says, racism causes climate change. She says, so at the core of it is the understanding that the climate crisis is a colonial white supremacist construct. Legal scholar Carmen G. Gonzalez pointed out that the European colonizers use oppressive practices to transform the substance economics of the global south into economic satellites of Europe. The process warmed the planet while creating wealth for colonial powers, the domination and exploitation of BIPOC, which stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color peoples, lands, and ecosystems, continue to this day and span across the globe, fueling the climate crisis. So there you have it. Uh, every single sort of left-wing woke buzzword is sort of all wrapped up into this idea that instead of you know trying to reduce our carbon footprint, what we really should do is just be smashing down the patriarchy, smashing down white supremacist systems of power, and what, uh, just sort of shifting blame here. So instead of looking at the scenario of climate change saying, okay, um, you know, we become so advanced and so wealthy and, and so prosperous in the world that so many people are pr producing carbon emissions and that's bad for the planet. So let's all sort of like collectively try to reduce our emissions or come up with technology um, to kind of band together as a civilization and try to improve the outcomes of our, of our planet. Instead of, of looking at it like that, which is sort of the way that we look at it now, uh, she's saying, no, let's instead divide the problem into white people versus everyone else, or, or as they say, uh, BIPOC people versus the colonizers, um, and then just sort of shift the blame at the white people and say, the real problem here isn't climate and it isn't carbon, it's it's white supremacy. It's, it's you evil white people, you've caused all these problems. And so she goes on this long 
rant talking about how you know it, the, the the whole idea is that um, before the colonizers came before the europeans came everybody was happy they had their their lifestyle and uh, you know they didn't want for much and then and then these oppressors came and colonized everything and we have to get rid of that so so she sort of glazes over a couple of important facts here like with with the advent of um, free markets and Western liberal democracy and the sort of spread around the world, particularly in the post-Soviet world, where uh, since 1990, we've seen 1.2 billion people being lifted out of extreme poverty. So more people have opportunities, more people have jobs, more people live in stable, free societies. Instead of sort of celebrating that and saying, wow, this is great, you know, more and more people have access to electricity and clean drinking water and um, medicine and all these things that are needed uh, to live and more people are part of the global economy. Instead, um, this, this author is basically saying that, that, that these people are to blame and that we need to decolonize. She, she does make one uh, point. I will give her credit for one a good point that she makes. She talks about how, um, as an example, um, there's a sort of idea of fast fashion. So people are constantly buying new clothes and something's uh, in fashion one month and then the next month they want to go with something else. So clothes aren't really made to last. They're made cheaply. And because of that, it generates a lot of waste. And she's also saying that it exploits um, natural human ecosystems to produce all these clothes. And so she's saying that, you know, we should change our lifestyle so that we're not wearing all these cheap clothes. I, I assume that her that her target audience in this is actually the teenagers that we saw at the beginning, the ones that were marching in, in Montreal, all of these trendy, uh, woke environmentalists who are, you know, probably the ones that are into this fast fashion idea or cheap fashion where they're constantly um, getting new clothes. So, so I did appreciate that comment because usually what we see from those environmentalists is that they're massive hypocrites. They're huge hypocrites. They're out there um, saying we need to end oil. Uh, meanwhile, they're, you know, using their cell phones and they're wearing uh, Gore-Tex rain jackets that are made of oil and they're, you know, all, all the things in their life that, that require oil, they're kind of divorced from the idea of where these items come from. And so they are massive hypocrites. So, so, so she, she did sort of have a little bit of a nod to that in there. I'll give her credit for that. But the rest of the piece is just an absolute um, screed of nonsense where she basically just, uh, again, uses every uh, woke keyword uh, to, to blame, you know, racism and white supremacy. Uh, most people, when they encounter a, a piece of news like this or something like this on CBC, um, their eyes just glaze over, they kind of shake their head. It's total nonsense. And it's not a very good way of engaging people. But again, CBC is showing their true colors. They are perfectly happy to publish something that is completely divisive, that is pretty racist in the underlying uh, message and, and the flat out message by blaming white supremacy, um, saying that that's to fault uh, for climate change. Uh, the CBC is happy to publish the most far left-wing piece of uh, writing that they can find, whereas when it comes to anything even sort of centrist or moderately conservative, you don't see anything like that on the CBC. Um, but again, we're supposed to believe that they are transparent. Okay, moving on. I saw this story. The, the entire show today is dedicated to the CBC, by the way. The CBC is just terrible, and so we have four stories. They're all from the CBC. This one here says the pandemic caused care delays as trans Ottawans transition. So CBC Ottawa asked two trans women. So trans women are biological males who identify as women. So CBC Ottawa asked two trans women to share their experiences of transitioning during the pandemic. Okay, so we hear right in the headline that the pandemic caused delays. So, so maybe these men were trying to get access to hormone pills, or maybe they were getting some kind of surgery. Maybe they were doing 
some kind of operation. Uh, that, that's sort of what you assume from the story. Okay, let's, let's, let's read this story to find out what the healthcare delays uh, that were so horrific for these trans individuals uh, happens. So here it says, though Sophie McCarroll began her transition before the pandemic, she says the majority of her journey took place in the new normal of COVID-19. The isolation made this major change, especially hard for the 35-year-old software engineer. It was very lonely, she said, not being able to meet others in the community or celebrate her new self. I would have loved to participate in my first pride parade, she said. I wanted to exist in the world as who I was. That included a new, more feminine way of speaking, a common practice for trans women who work on modulating their voices to a higher tone. I'm just reading this article as it's coming in. So far, we haven't heard anything about care. What we've heard is that um, this, this, this person hasn't been able to participate in a pride parade and hasn't been able to practice speaking in a higher tone as a woman would. And it goes on, it says, accessing laser hair removal for her face presented another challenge, something she says greatly lessened her symptoms of dysphoria when she first started the process in 2019. I got three treatments before COVID hit. It was amazing, she said, being able to wear foundation, look in the mirror and not feel frustrated and not be sad. Then COVID arrived and facial laser hair removals were deemed too risky because it meant removing your mask after they stopped. McCurl's hair started to grow back. And so then she said it was more difficult. Then she argues that these treatments should not have been deemed non-essential. She said that it was essential for her to have her hair removal. So again, the whole idea from the headline, you assume that, that, that some kind of care, some kind of healthcare wasn't available. But no, what we're talking about is just normal routine grooming, the same thing that everyone else in the entire country had to go through. I didn't get my hair cut for like nine months. I didn't have a story written about me, a, sa a sob story written about me in the CBC because of it. This story is, is just so absolutely ridiculous. It's so absurd. We're supposed to feel sorry for these individuals because they couldn't participate in a pride parade because they couldn't go and get hair removal services. Meanwhile, there were real victims of COVID. Almost 30,000 people in Canada have died with COVID or because of COVID. Uh, doctors say that mental health in children is at a crisis level. At least 2,300 Canadians died waiting for actual surgeries, life-saving surgeries in 2020 alone. So we're talking about tens of thousands of people in this country dying. And here the CBC comes up with a sob story about these two trans individuals because they couldn't fully enjoy their new life. Guess what? Uh, that's, that's, that's everybody. Imagine being in high school. Imagine being in university. Imagine being at any stage in your life, planning a wedding. Uh, with me, I've got little kids and the kids can't go out and enjoy the things that they used to be able to enjoy. Everybody in COVID has stories of restrictions in their life, uh, but you don't see the CBC making a big deal out of those. Um, again, just pushing this sort of crazy woke ideology uh, that we're always supposed to feel sorry for trans people, that they're always the victims, no matter what. And instead of just being happy with their lives, happy with the fact that they live in a world where they can transition and they can live their life. Uh, I'm sure that there's challenges. I'm sure that they've had hardships, but still they live in a society that's so open-minded that they are allowed to change their gender. They were allowed to all of a sudden identify as the opposite gender. And yet they're still complaining. They're still highlighting these sob stories. It's really, really just a sad state over at the CBC that this is a kind of ideology that they promote. Okay. Final story I want to talk about here is this story over on the CBC about the Saskatchewan premier, Premier Scott Moe. So he was on the radio show, The Roy Green Show, and they were talking about the new climate proposals that Justin Trudeau has pushed during COP26. And basically Scott Moe said, look, enough is enough. He said that Saskatchewan wants to be a nation within a nation by increasing its own autonomy. Uh, good for them, by the way, good for Premier Scott Moe for saying this. He says that he was upset because he wasn't consulted by Ottawa before their recent uh, caps and emission statements were announced. 
um, no one in the country was consulted. We, we were all kind of blindsided by Justin Trudeau's craziness, um, crazy speeches that he gave over in Scotland at COP26. My colleague Anthony Fury did a great video here at True North about how uh, he, he promoted things that were really, really outside the norm of what we normally talk about. And everyone just kind of shrugged, even though he's out there promoting really crazy extreme things that he hasn't even really talked about in Canada before. Well, Scott Moe feels the same way. And he says that he wants the province to be a nation within a nation by increasing its autonomy in several areas, including policing, taxation, and immigration. And so the reason I'm talking about this on Fake News Friday is that the CBC writes this entire story without giving credit to the journalist who actually broke the story. Keep in mind that Scott Moe was doing an interview, a one-on-one -on -one interview with radio host Roy Green on The Roy Green Show. Would it have really killed the CBC to just mention that? The CBC, by the way, is notorious within the journalism world. I, I, I know we pick on CBC a lot and it's sort of expected because we're conservatives and they're this far left uh, news network that's on the dole that's taking all this taxpayers' money. Uh, but the reality is that a lot of journalists working at a lot of different news stations across the country feel the same way about the CBC as I do. A lot of people roll their eyes and just shake their head at the CBC and how ridiculous they are. One of the things that the CBC is notorious for is stealing people's stories without giving credit. It's happened to me before. It's happened to so many journalists out there where you have a scoop, you have a story, and then all of a sudden the CBC is reporting it without giving you credit and sometimes even calling their own scoop an exclusive, which is just completely irresponsible, completely unethical. So again, here we see the CBC put out the story. And so my colleague over the Toronto Sun, Lori Goldstein, tweeted out the story. He, he shared it with his followers on Twitter. And then Roy Green replied saying, the CBC failed to source their story. Premier Mo said this on my program. Anyone wanting to hear the interview may do so at the Roy Green show. So again, CBC just completely ridiculous, not even giving credit, not even allowing uh, Canadians who might be interested in the context and understanding what the conversation was about and how Scott Moe said it. Instead, uh, CBC just kind of like takes his whole statement out of context, puts their own spin on it, and doesn't even provide the source for Canadians to get more information, doesn't provide the hat tip to the journalist who broke the story, the one who was hosting the interview. Totally typical, totally typical uh, bad behavior by the CBC. And so here, Laurie points this out. He says, my friend Roy Green notes that this was on his show, the sketch when Premier Scott Moe made his nation within a nation comment. The CBC did not credit his show as the source. The CBC has a reputation for doing this. It's Bush League. I couldn't have said it any better myself. Laurie Goldstein is completely right. The CBC has a reputation for doing this and it is Bush League. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. This has been Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.